following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Unfortunately, I'm a little bit like the blind man from our scripture last week. See things a little fuzzy. <clears throat> I, uh, I appreciate uh, Craig's word, or the Lord's word, through Craig uh, this morning. That phrase, I planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord God gave the growth. That's the story of the church, amen? And that's the story of Crossroad Church. Uh, we, we are here because God gave the growth, and I'm so grateful for that. Well, we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark this morning, in chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 27 through 33 and that's page 844 in the Pew Bibles. Mark 827. Um, and you um, remember from last week's study maybe that uh, we talked about Jesus holding the threefold offices of prophet, priest, and king. He's the only one qualified uh, for all three offices, and how each phase of Jesus' ministry he was or will be fulfilling each one of these offices. <clears throat> and up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen Jesus serving as the prophet, the prophet, speaking on behalf of God to people, calling people to repentance and faith. But as we come to this text, Jesus is beginning to turn a corner in his ministry. Having served as a prophet, he is now starting the long and dark path of the priest. I want to break our text down into two pieces this morning. Verses 27 through 30 first, and then 31 through 33. The publishers did us a favor in sticking a heading right in the middle, so we pause and take our breath right there. Um, but I want, to, um, I want to keep them separate for the moment. But first, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your ministry among us. We are grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that has protected uh, your words to mankind and delivered them to us even today. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would serve as our interpreter your word, that we would understand the message that you have here for us, that our hearts would be prepared by your spirit to receive that message, that our eyes would be opened by your spirit and our ears would be opened by your spirit, that we would be changed by your spirit to be more like your son. For it's in his name we pray, amen. So let's look at verse 27 through 30 of chapter 8, the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. 
Jesus and his disciples were just outside Caesarea Philippi on the shoulders of Mount Hermon um, in the northern part of Israel. And I have, a, I have a picture I would like to show you, but I can't. Um, our technology is not uh, behaving this morning. Um, of Ces- picture of Caesarea Philippi. Um, this is, uh, Joel and Michelle have been there. Nate has been there. Right, did you get there? Okay. They changed the trip at school. So uh, it is among the most beautiful places I have ever seen with my own eyes. It is just an astounding place. It's a, a place full of natural springs. And when we were there, we're walking along the path and water is bubbling right up through the pavement. And so you're just kind of walking along the stream uh, up to this huge cave in the cliffside. Um, um, the cave is the important piece of uh, the, um, the makeup of Caesarea Philippi. The cave they call the Grotto of Pan, like Pan, the little goat guy that plays the flute um, in Greek mythology. But there's another name for it as well that you may have heard before. If you've never heard of the Grotto of Pan, perhaps you've heard of the Gates of Hell. That's what they refer to this cave as, the Gates of Hades, as in the place that you enter to go into Hades if you're going to the place of the dead. So when you read Matthew's account of this, that whole Gates of Hell thing, that's where Jesus was when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's standing in front of the gates of hell. It's very important um, to understand that. Knowing where Jesus was and where his disciples were becomes really important. And it fills this all out. Um, We are so blessed in our generation. If you want to see what the gates of hell look like, you can Google it, and a thousand images will show up of this cave and the springs, and you can see all that I'm talking about, and I really wanted to show it to you on the screen, but the, our, we're still working on the live streaming thing, and the screen is misbehaving. Anyway, geography is not just novel. It's really important, and it fills out the richness of our understanding um, <clears throat> of what what. When Jesus taught to, he says a mustard seed, he may have been holding one. If he's talking about fishers of men, he could be pointing to one. This is very important to get these pictures in your head because it makes these accounts much more rich. Anyway, back to the text. Jesus asked his disciples who people were saying that he was. After all this time of preaching and teaching and performing miracles, have people got it yet? What are they saying? Well, had people got it yet? No. No. 2,000 years, we're still working on it. The disciples told him that uh, people were saying, he's John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The people that the disciples quoted 
They weren't meaning to be disrespectful. They're not saying, no, he's not the Christ. He's John the Baptist. No, he's not Messiah. He's Elijah or Jeremiah or some other prophet. That's not what they're doing. They're not being disrespectful. They mean, well, they can see uh, they're, they're aiming at the truth, just missing the mark. The people recognized that Jesus had been sent by God. They recognized it by John the Baptist and Elijah and the other prophets. They recognized that God's power was at work in him, proven by miracles. But their understanding was limited. Their vision was cloudy, like the blind man from last week. So Jesus moved his question to the disciples. All right, they all got it wrong. What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And this is perhaps the most important question ever asked of anyone. And the response is equally important. Who do you say that I am? Was Jesus John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah reincarnated or raised from the dead? Was he a ghost? Right? That's the only way that people could explain the power that was at work in him. And clearly that's not true. He's not a ghost. He's still not a ghost. He's not John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or just some other prophet raised from the dead. He's not. But who do you say that I am? Now, again, we go back to our Greek lessons. You, right? The word you. Mistranslated here. It's you's guys, right? It's plural. The you is plural. You all. You guys. Who do you guys say that I am, right? Do you guys think I'm just a ghost? Do you guys think that I'm just a phantom or somebody raised uh, from the dead? Somebody else? Well, loudmouth Peter speaks up. As always, but it's very important here to understand Peter speaking on behalf of the disciples, not just on his own. Peter speaking on behalf of the disciples confesses, short and sweet, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And then stops. Right? Now, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, you get a lot more story about what Jesus' response to Peter is about uh, building a church on this rock and the keys to heaven and hell and binding and loosing in heaven, all that sort of thing. Whew. Lost to talk about there. But we're in the Gospel of Mark. So it just stops. Now it's important to remember the Gospel of Mark is Mark's record of Peter's account of the Gospel. Right? Mark is writing down a story Peter's telling him. In Matthew's account of this event, you can look it up later, Matthew 16, 13 through 20, the same exact story. He goes into much more detail of Jesus' response to Peter. But here in Mark's gospel, Peter, in his humility, leaves that out. He elects to leave that out. And that's okay. It's not a contradiction. It's humility at work. And to spare you a sermon within a sermon, I won't quote Uh, all of those Matthew things to you now uh, either. But I would encourage you to read it for yourself. There's a lot of in there, and there's a lot of false teaching based on it. In fact, the Catholic Church is based on false teaching made from those verses. So I would encourage you 
to look at it yourself. And I would be happy to talk with you about it and get your thoughts and tell you where you're wrong. <laughs> or you can tell me where I'm wrong uh, some other time. So Matthew does call Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ the bedrock that he will build his church on. So I will make this very clear right now. Jesus does not say, you are Peter and I will build my church on you. That's what our Catholic friends have taught for hundreds of years, that Peter is the Pope, that he's the first Pope, and the church is built on him. And it's not. That's not at all what Jesus meant. Not at all. He says he will not build his church on Peter himself, but on faith in Jesus as the Christ. What an important distinction, right? It's either the cult of Peter or the church of Jesus Christ. That's the choice that you have, right? Peter himself would have rejected the teaching that he was the bedrock of the church. He would freak out and throw you out of the boat for saying that. I'd put money on it. He would. <laughs> Peter declares on behalf of the twelve their conviction as a group that Jesus is the Christ. Now it's important for us to remember Christ is not a Jesus last name like John Smith, right? That's not his last name. It's his title. Christ is a title. The Greek word Christ and the Hebrew word Messiah, same thing. They mean the same thing, same word. They both mean the anointed one, God's anointed. Now, this is very important. Christ is not a curse word. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is Jesus' title, the anointed one of God. And Peter simply states on behalf of the twelve, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. He doesn't say, well, I believe that you're the Christ. Well, we think that you're Messiah. Not, it's not a statement of opinion. Not a statement of belief. It's a declaration of adoration in the language of worship. You are the Christ. God's anointed one, Messiah. God's anointed one. What an interesting phrase, God's anointed one. Do you know in the Old Testament, who else got anointed? Anyone know who else got anointed in the Old Testament? Daniel. King David, David yeah. Anybody else? Aaron. Aaron, yes. Okay. Well, you got the categories by naming kings, right? Kings and priests got anointed in the Old Testament. Really important if, uh, if Jesus is the anointed one. It's important to understand what does that mean. Prophet Samuel anointed Saul as king of Israel and David uh, later as king, right? Uh, Moses anointed Aaron. The Jews were looking for a Messiah like that. A new king sent from God to free them, free Israel from their oppressors, the Romans. That's what they wanted, to reestablish the kingdom of Israel on earth. Now, I get that, I guess. 
They want to be free from their oppressors. Who wouldn't? But what a shallow and hollow Messiah that would be. What a narrow scope. Just to put the kingdom of Israel back on the map? Uh, I guess. That would be great. Kick out the Romans so they can worship God the way that they intended and not have to pay taxes to Caesar? Okay. And then they die. Great. And that's the end. That's not a good Messiah. That's a very cheap picture of Messiah. But Jesus isn't that kind of king. Praise his glorious name. He's not a Messiah like that. The ministry of Messiah, Jesus' ministry as the Christ, has such a broader scope than that. When the were, um, were the disciples wrong in confessing that Jesus is the Christ? No. Jesus is the Christ. That was right. Did they really understand what they were saying? Still no. <laughs> no, they did not. That's all right. This confession marks a turning point in the ministry of Jesus, adding to the office of prophet, the office office of priest. But that's not what the disciples thought was happening. They still want him to be a king too. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Isn't that interesting? We see that over and over. Jesus heals somebody say, shut it, go home. Don't go into the village last week, right? Just go home. Uh, Don't tell anybody about me. Why is that? Does Jesus just not want to be popular? No. Like and subscribe my YouTube channel? That's not at all what Jesus was after at all. What, What would have happened if they went from this point and said, Hey, everybody, the Messiah is over here. Well, timing and understanding. Because they did not yet understand what Messiah's job really was. What his office really meant they wouldn't tell a story right that here comes jesus he's the christ and he can heal people and he can walk on water do all kinds of cool tricks it's great come see and they tell about a jesus who is king but a king on earth they'd leave out the part of him being a priest they could say he's a prophet like the ones of old And now he's a king. Let's come serve him. But that would cut off the path of priests, which is the most important one for us. So let's look at the second half of our text, verses 31 through 33. From that time... Why my numbers are wrong? I'm going to read this, and I don't know why these numbers are wrong. I don't care. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
So that was Matthew. That's why the numbers are wrong. Verse 31 of Mark 8 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Very similar words. Sorry about that. So what's going on here? Oh, going to build a church on Peter now getting called Satan. <laughs> Same breath. <laughs> well, there is a gap of time there that's not, uh, not always clear for us to understand. We, this, but it's still quite a turnaround. This great moment of faith, this confession of Jesus as Christ, and then the rebuke of Jesus to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. This is proof the disciples still did not understand. Peter included, they did not understand who Jesus really was. Peter was good with Jesus' role of prophet, right? And he was clearly behind him as his role as king. But the idea of Jesus serving as priest made no sense to him at all. The high priests in Israel would bring the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple in Jerusalem. And he would only do this once a year on the Day of Atonement, which is a day we now call Yom Kippur. It's September 27, 28 this year. It moves with the phase of the moon. When Jesus began to plainly show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day raised, he's describing his role as priest. He's bringing the sacrifice to Jerusalem. He's offering the blood of the sacrifice. The difference was, that Jesus would provide the blood for the sacrifice himself. His own blood would be shed to atone for the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28, you could make a career of preaching out of Hebrews. The former priests were many in number because they they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. That's our high priest. That's Jesus the Christ. Peter wasn't ready for this. The disciples weren't ready for this. 
They didn't understand this yet. So Jesus pulled Peter aside and rebuked him. Can you imagine how that conversation went? Lord, no. You can't. Don't talk like that. That's never going to happen to you. We'll never allow it. Get behind me, Satan. Don't talk that way. You're the Messiah. You're the king. We won't let them touch you. Far be it from you. This shall never happen. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How often are we guilty of this thing? Simon, who Jesus had now officially renamed Peter, a word that sounds like the word for rock. Jesus now calls him Satan. Satan. A word borrowed from the Aramaic and given as a title to the devil. And it means adversary. He went from confessing Christ to being an adversary to the same Christ. Peter wanted... He was not, was well-meaning, right? He just wanted to skip from prophet to king, jump over the priest part altogether. He didn't want the Lord to suffer. He didn't want the Lord to be killed. His mind was set on the things of man. We don't want anything bad to happen to those that we love, right? What if that's what God wills? The things of man, the mindset of man is to protect oneself, to protect the ones we love, to put ourselves first, our comfort first, our, be- our best interest first. That's all Peter was doing. I'm just trying to protect my friend from this crazy talk. You're the king, Jesus. You don't have to suffer and die. We won't let that happen. We'll fight. But Jesus said to himself, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my friends would fight. Jesus' service as priest was necessary for Peter, for the disciples, for all of mankind to be freed from our real oppressor, not the Romans, but our own sin and our sinfulness. And though Peter failed here, His confession still rings true. Jesus, you are the Christ of God. John Calvin wrote, The confession is short, but it embraces all that is contained in our salvation. For the designation Christ, or anointed, includes both an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting priesthood to reconcile us to God and by atoning for our sins through his sacrifice, to obtain for us a perfect righteousness, and having received us under his protection, to uphold and supply and enrich enrich us with every description of blessing. That's the office of a priest. That's what we receive when we confess that Jesus is the Christ. We receive the atonement for our sins. 
We receive reconciliation with our Father God. We receive perfect righteousness in his sight. He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus all over us. We receive his protection. We receive his supply. And we receive every description of blessing. All because Jesus is our prophet and priest and king. May we all hear his word and receive his sacrifice and submit to him and serve him with our whole lives. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. What a wonderful blessing it is to be children of the king. But it wouldn't be possible without the priest. Jesus, we thank you for offering yourself as a sacrifice for our sin. Once and for all on the cross, your blood poured out for the sins of many, for our sins. And we are so grateful. Father, we thank you for your grace in the times that we do not understand what's going on. We can't make sense of the things that are happening around us. We thank you for your grace when we cry out, help us, Lord. When we don't have the words to pray, we thank you your spirit interprets our groans. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your constant intercession for us. Constantly claiming your blood as enough to pay the penalty for our sin, even though we just can't seem to stop. Father, we are grateful for your grace. We are thankful for your love. May our lives be given to you in return for your sacrifice for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.